This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. Well, this morning, I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 19. And we are, as we mentioned just a few moments ago, continuing in the series when he spoke. And today is sermon number five, the fifth saying on the cross. And so I'm going to call your attention this morning to a couple of things. I want to remind you, first of all, that the first time Jesus spoke from the cross is when he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The second time he spoke to the thief when he said, this day, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. The third time he spoke and he said, woman, behold thy son. The fourth time he spoke, he said, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And now this morning we come to the fifth place in which the Lord speaks from the cross. And in John chapter 19, verse number 28, the scripture says this. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. There's a lot to be seen in those two words today. And I pray that the message will be a blessing to you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity given to us right now where we can pull ourselves up to the table of God and open the precious word. And it's our expectation and our prayer, God, that we will hear from heaven today that you would allow the Holy Spirit to minister to us, to open our ears that we can hear, open our heart that we can receive. And Lord, I pray that if there is anyone here this morning in our midst or either watching in our internet ministries, should there be a one that does not know you as their personal Lord and Savior, I pray this would be the day when they trust you. And as always, help us, O oh God, not to traffic in the errors of untruth. And we'll be mindful to give you the praise and the honor and the glory for all that you do. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. This morning, I want to talk about the words of suffering, and I hope that you got one of these bulletins when you came in the door today, and uh, you can see that we have plenty of scripture to be referencing this morning, and some are maybe not even on here that we'll be talking about. They will do their very best to get these scriptures on the screen as quick as they can uh, if you're not able to turn fast. And there will be some momentarily that uh, I've just listed for you, and I hope that you would listen to uh, the references I give it to you. But as we talk about the words of suffering this morning, I believe that we get the full panoramic view of the suffering of the Lord Jesus on the cross. And we have taken time to go through some of the excruciating detail, and I may mention a little of that this morning. But these particular words of Jesus, they are coming from burning, blistered, scorched, parched lips. 
as he's hanging on the cross, and I'm sure that everyone would agree that it's very humbling and very heartbreaking when we come to this particular place of the cross to see the Savior in the need of a drink, in the need of being thirsty when he is experiencing excruciating, barbaric pain. I, I hate to see anybody suffering. I, I'm hopeful that that's an emotion that you have. It's, but it's something that I have become acquainted with in many different ways over the last 40 plus years of ministry. I, I have had people in our church, in our congregation, that have had terminal illness and their bodies riddled in pain, whether they were experiencing their last days on earth in a hospital or whether they were at home under hospice care. But I have been to the bedside of many of our church members who have now gone on to heaven. And some of which in those final days, they were hurting so bad that when I went to see them, they would say, Pastor, would you please pray that God would take me today? And in many cases, I could not find the strength nor the will to do that. Here was a precious member of our church, been here for years, and the last three or four years of their life was tormented with terminal cancer of some sort. And I've seen them cry, I've seen them agonize, I've seen them pray for God to take them. But it's a very difficult thing for me when I sit by the bedside of somebody that I've ministered to for years and years and grown to love very dearly and very passionately and have them take me by the hand and say, Pastor, with tears running down their face, would you pray that God would take me today? And, and I would say, Many times, many, many times. No, I'm not going to pray that. I'm going to pray that God will touch your body and give you encouragement. I'm going to pray that God will touch your body and that he would give you strength, that he would give you joy, that he would do something in your life. I'm not going to pray that prayer. I can remember Sister Sue before she passed away. She was at that place in life, and I would go to her bedside many times, and she would say, Pastor, I can't take this anymore. She said, I want you to pray that God will take me, that he would take me now. I'm ready to go. I'd say, Miss Sue, I'm not praying that. I'd go into the hospital room day after day, and she'd have one foot in the grave, and she'd have one foot on this side, and she'd say, pray today. I said, I'm not doing that. I can't do it. I can't do that, Miss Sue. She said, oh, yes, you can, preacher. You can pray that God would just send the chariot, take me today. In the last few days of her life, it was clear to me that God had a different will, that God had a different plan than turning things around. It was clear to me that God had already made up his mind and it was very clear to her and very clear to me. I can remember we had a musician in our church who played the pedal steel guitar. And he was likewise. I would go see him and 
pray with him and he'd say, Pastor, I'm tired. He was on dialysis several times a week and he just couldn't do it anymore. And I can remember him calling me at my home one night and he said, Pastor, he said, I really need you to pray. Pray now that God will take me now. He said, I've decided that I've taken myself off of the dialysis. I'm not going to have another treatment. And he said, I want you to pray that God will take me. And I said, Brother Ray, I will pray that. And it was the hardest thing I had to do after a ministry with him for so many years and same with Sister Sue. And I can remember the pain that it caused me to look in their eyes, knowing that they were suffering so greatly and pray this prayer, God, I pray that you would send that chariot today. God, I pray that you would, in the midst of all of this, especially for their loved ones, to give peace and comfort where it's needed, but to ease Sister Sue's pain today. She has a longing to go. She's ready to go. Would you take her today? I can remember praying that same prayer with Brother Ray Garrett and we got off of the telephone and I got a call the very next day that he had indeed passed away. It breaks my heart whenever I see someone suffering beyond the ability of help. I can remember not too awful long ago, and many of you remember, in our own community, we heard this thing come across the channel 12 and 6 and 8 and Channel 35, whatever the local news station you watch, and you've heard about Tommy the dog that was tortured, tied to a pole and burned. It, it pains me to see people suffer, and it pains me to see animals suffer. I, I just can't hardly bear it at all. But when I think about this situation totally different from anything that I could imagine. You think about at this point of the cross, when every barbaric thing had been done to Jesus that they possibly could do, when they had beat him, when they flogged him in Pilate's judgment hall, and I have been to that place. I've taken many of you with me to the Holy Land and we have actually gone to Pilate's judgment hall. I have been to the pavement in which he was tried and I have fell to my knees and I have kissed the stone and I have dropped salty tears on the very stones where Jesus stood while they were plucking the beard off of his face and spitting upon him. I've been to the place where they flogged him When I think about all that they had done to Jesus, now he's hanging on the cross. The nails are securely fastened to his feet and those timbers in his hands and the crown of thorns and the sweat and the blood is mingled together. It really affects me here when I think about this. And by the way, the Jews had a tradition to where when they were going to use the scourging, the cat of nine tails, they could only go as far as 39 lashes. 
But Jesus was not scourged by the, by the Jews. He was scourged by the Romans. And Romans had no limit to the amount of thrashings that they could apply. So we don't know. You remember Paul said one time, he said, I had 40 lashings save one. Do you remember that? And here's the thing. We have no idea how many times they beat the Lord. It was a very unlimited practice for these Roman centurions. And it really affects me when I get to this place and I see our Lord now at this place He's been brutalized in every imaginable way. And like everything else Jesus had already endured, and like the other words that he had already spoken, here's what I want you to understand, that these words are the fulfillment of Bible prophecy as well. And I want you to take your Bibles, if you will, and turn with me to Psalms chapter 69, and I want you to look at verse number 21. They will get these scriptures on the screen. I have that reference in the word for you, and I want you to see this this morning. Psalm 69, verse 21. This is the prophetic word of Calvary, going back to the psalm. We're going to see many of that, many of those in just a minute. But the scripture says... In the realm of prophecy, they gave me also gall for meat. And in my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. Now we find another application of that same scripture in Mark chapter 15 and verse number 23. The Bible says, and they gave him to drink wine mingled with myrrh. Now, most of you know that myrrh was a, a perfume, a type of embalming fluid that they had used uh, back in the day of Jesus. And according to this scripture, the Bible says he received it not. Now, let me remind you of something, that they offered this, this concoction to Jesus three different times, not just once, but three different times. These scriptures are not on your bulletin this morning, and if you're making footnotes, you might want to write this down and reference it again. I'm going to ask them to put it up there, but we're not going to spend any time with it, and they certainly don't have it at this point. But in Matthew chapter 27, verse number 34, and then I want you to notice uh, Luke chapter 23 and uh, Matthew chapter 27 and verse number 48, three different times. I may not have the right one, uh, for the first one, but the gospel of Luke chapter 23 and Matthew chapter 27, verse number 48, three different times they had offered the Lord Jesus the cup. Now, here's the thing. It was a mixture of vinegar and it was made bitter by the infusion of wormwood. And it was also a mixture of bile, a substance secreted by the liver, which made the whole thing extremely bitter. One of the most important things to remember about this crucifixion is to know that every single detail of the cross was predetermined. It was preordained by God. Calvary was the fulfillment of the prophetic word. And I want to take just a moment right now to show you what I'm talking about. This may be very interesting for you. Every single event of the cross was prophesied in the word of God hundreds of years before it took place. 
I want you to examine with me just for a moment. Take your Bibles if you would like to, that's fine. But you can follow along in the bulletin as I have listed these for you. And these horrific events of the cross in the realm of prophecy, I want you to see it as it goes back to the Old Testament. In Psalms chapter 22, verse number 1, the Bible gives us the prophecy of the Lord Jesus being forsaken by God the Father. We've already referenced that verse, but the scripture says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me? And from the words of my roaring. So Psalms 22, verse number 1, we have the prophecy of Jesus being forsaken by God on the cross. And then in Psalms chapter 22, verse number 18, we find the prophecy where the Romans would be gambling for the clothes and the garments of Jesus. The word says, they part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. In Psalms chapter 31, verse number 11, we have the prophecy of Jesus being forsaken by his disciples. The word says, I was a reproach among mine enemies, all mine enemies, but especially among my neighbors and a fear to mine acquaintance that did see me without and fled from me. In Psalms 35, verse number 11, we have the prophecy of Jesus receiving the false accusations against him. The word says, false witnesses rise up. They laid to my charge things that I knew not. In Psalms 41, verse number 9, we find the prophecy of Jesus being betrayed by a friend. The scripture says, Yes, my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, which did eat my bread, had lifted up his heel against me. In Psalms chapter 109, verse number 25, we have the prophecy of Jesus receiving the mockery by the many spectators that were at the cross. The word says, I became a reproach unto them, when they looked upon me, they shaked their heads. And then in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse number 7, we find the prophecy of Jesus standing silent before his judges. The word says he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. And in Isaiah chapter 53, verse number 12, we have the prophecy of Jesus, how that he was going to be numbered with the transgressors. The word says, therefore, will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors and bore the sin of many. So you think about all of these particular events that took place, on the cross, they were in scripture prophesied in sequence how they would happen. Now I want to reference again in Psalms chapter 69, verse number 21, the word said that they would give him vinegar to drink. They gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Now each and every one of these prophecies they were plainly foretold centuries before they came to pass. And this proves, and listen, this ought to provide us all the proof that we need that the word of God is true. You read it yourself. You see where these prophecies, these ancient prophecies declare that. 
Jesus was not stumbling over any event of the cross, none whatsoever. All of it had carefully been preordained and planned by God himself. And now here we find him in the thirsty hour of Calvary. These words, I thirst, listen carefully, I believe personally that they contain several spiritual truths and I want you to look at them more closely for a brief moment. I have given them to you this morning in the bulletin and I'd like for you to follow along with me. Those of you that are watching at home, I encourage you to do the same. Hopefully you have something to write with to make some footnotes as well. But number one, if you're watching, you're reading, listen carefully. Here we find the evidence of the Lord's humanity. And we need to remember this, that the Lord Jesus was God in the flesh. Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. The Gospel of John says this in John's Gospel, chapter 1 and verse number 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I want you to think about that. However, he was just as much man as he was God. The Bible says in John number 1, verse number 14, that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is, is what is meant in the Scripture about Jesus being the God-man. This is talking about his incarnation. And many do not realize that when the incarnation took place, listen carefully, he did not cease to be God. When the virgin birth took place, Jesus was God in the flesh. When he came to this earth, he did not cease to be God. There was no heavenly transfer of power. Here's the thing, his conception, immaculate conception, did not put human blood into his veins. This is very important. Neither did Jesus lay aside any of his divine attributes. The Bible teaches us that when he came in the flesh, God in the flesh, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. And verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. When Jesus came in the flesh, he still possessed all power. By that I mean this, that although he was stripped of his splendor, his majesty, and his glory, listen very carefully, he did not cease to be anything that he previously was. He was still the only begotten son of God. That did not change. He was still the second person of the Godhead. That did not change. He still had a place at the Father's right hand. That did not change. In his absence from heaven, the Lord Jesus continued to demonstrate full proof of his deity. The Lord was not feeling his way through 33 and a half years of life upon this earth as a blind, deaf, and mute man. Absolutely not. The scripture says that when he spoke, never a man spake like this man. When he spoke, he spoke in divine wisdom. When he acted, he acted in divine holiness. When he exhibited his power, he exhibited divine power. He displayed divine love. He was able to read men's minds, especially, I give you one illustration with the woman found in adultery. He was able to move men's hearts when he spoke 
spoke to Peter and asked the question, whom do men say that I am? He was able to compel men's will when he said, follow me and I will make you to become fishers of men. He was able to bring nature to his knees when he spoke to the winds and the sea. The disciples said that even they obey his voice. He demonstrated power over demons when he set the man of Kadera free. So listen very carefully. He was so much God, yet he was so much man. And we see the evidence of his humanity. We know the Bible says that when he entered the world as a baby, that he began to, in that process, the word says that he began to grow. And the word says he began to grow in wisdom. The Bible also says that when he was a boy, he began asking questions. The word also says that when he became a man, he became weary in body. And in further proof of his humanity, the word says this. In one particular point, he hungered. In Matthew chapter 4 and verse number 2, and when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he afterward hungered. He not only was hungry, As a man, the Bible says that as a man, he often needed sleep, just like you and I do. In Mark chapter 4, verse number 38, the Bible says, and he was in the hinder part of the ship asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? On different occasions in his humanity, he found opportunities and he took advantages of times to even weep and cry. John chapter 11, verse number 35, which is the shortest verse in the entire Bible, the scripture says Jesus wept. As a man, he often had and found the need of times to pray. In Mark chapter 1, verse number 35, and in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. Just like you and I in our humanity, when we hear great news, and we've experienced some great news today when I see Sister Rose in the service and you hear a great report of my father and different ones, we clap and we give the Lord the praise. Just like we do and we rejoice, the Lord Jesus in his humanity also found occasions to rejoice. In Luke 10, verse 21, the Bible says, in that hour, Jesus rejoiced in spirit and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes, even so, for it seemed good in thy sight. So listen very carefully. Now we're coming down. You've seen the essence of what we're talking about. You have seen the importance, the evidence of the Lord's humanity. And in the fifth saying on the cross, we see a need, an element of Jesus in his humanity to be satisfied with a drink, a thirst, the word says. So in these words, it's clear that Jesus is so much man as he was so much God. Number two, real quickly, I want us to look at the intensity of his sufferings. And there was a lot more, I believe, to this whole thing than physical suffering. Even though that was uncomprehendable, I believe there was a whole lot more to it. I think there's something much deeper behind the words, I thirst 
And I want to look at that very carefully. It's not necessarily simply a common thirst that you might imagine. I want us to retrace these steps just a little bit prior to the cross. As we think about the agonizing betrayal that the Lord Jesus had, think with me today that when the Lord was going over the program with his disciples and he was saying that one of you are going to betray me, isn't it amazing how Judas Iscariot, now we know the end of the story. We know who the betrayer was. We know who the traitor was. But isn't it amazing that as this story is unfolding and Jesus said tonight, one of you are going to betray me, isn't it amazing that Judas had blended himself in so cleverly with the other disciples that when Jesus said that, tonight one of you are going to betray me, the word says that they begin to turn and ask the question, is it me? Is it I? Judas had walked with them, but yet he gave no outward sign that he was about to do what he was going to do. He had blended in with all of the rest of them that the, that the statement really bewildered them. They could not imagine who it would be. And in Matthew chapter 26, verse number 23, Jesus answered the question. He said, he that dippeth his hand with me in the dish, the same shall betray me. And in John chapter 13, verse number 30, he said this, he then having received the sop, went immediately out and it was night. So we know the end of the story. It was Judas. But let me recapture some of these things for you real quickly here. Because after Jesus had washed the feet of his disciples, Jesus and his band of disciples, they had left the upper room and the word of God says that they entered into the garden of Gethsemane. There in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed three times. There in Gethsemane, Judas betrayed him with the kiss of betrayal on his cheek. There in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Lord's disciples had fled and forsook him. Shortly thereafter, Peter had denied him. Then he was illegally tried. Then they unjustly condemned him. Then the crowds began to mock him. And then his own people began to cry, crucify him. And the Roman centurions, you know the rest of the story, beat the Lord beyond human recognition. And so these words, I thirst, I believe is more than just simply a physical need. There's no doubt his body had a need for physical thirst to be quenched, but there was something else going on behind the scenes here that you might not think of as often as we should. I think we all know that internal trials of the soul, they have a huge tendency to react upon the body. When we are hurting inwardly with our spirit and our soul, it has a way of manifesting itself outwardly. Sometimes when we are disturbed so greatly inside, it affects us to the point where we cannot eat. Have you ever been that stressed? Have you ever been that much in turmoil when you have had something going on that seems to have broken your spirit, that has maybe broken your will, maybe that has captivated your mind and your thoughts and has depressed you in ways that you have never experienced before. I tell you that if you ever get to that place, God forbid, but I believe that I'm talking to some real people today. I believe that there are people here this morning. I believe that there are people watching by internet that have been so distraught 
that has brought a physical element into the realm. Though internally you're overwhelmed with thought and you're overwhelmed with brokenness of heart, it has affected you outwardly in a way to where you cannot eat or that you cannot sleep or that it's given you migraine headaches or that it's caused unbelievable stress in your body. Maybe it's caused you to cry uncontrollably. And I can assure you of this, that if you do not get the grip on those kind of things quickly, that it's going to affect you seriously spiritually. Here's the thing. When we get broken in spirit inside, and, and, our, and our emotions are snapped and our heart is broken. And all of these things begin to manifest itself on the outward. I can assure you that it will ultimately, when you're hurting emotionally, when you're hurting physically, it's going to show up at some point spiritually. Here's what's going to happen. When you get into a place, a predicament like that, eventually you're going to stop feeling like you want to read your Bible. Or you're going to stop feeling like you need to take time to pray. Maybe you're going to stop feeling like that you need to be serving the Lord. Because I'm telling you this morning that a broken spirit can discourage you spiritually. And I'm sure that all of us have experienced times when our heart has just been overwhelmed and burdened that it caused our spirit to be unrested. In fact, there's a scripture for that. I shared it with you many months ago, but let me refresh you with it again today. It's found in Proverbs chapter 17 and verse number 22. I believe that it's written on your bulletin this morning. But if not, make a note of that. The Bible says that a broken spirit drieth to the bones. So it works like this. When you hurt physically, it will affect you emotionally. And when you hurt emotionally, it's going to affect you spiritually as well. It drains the life out of us. There's no other way to put it. And so the body and the soul, they have a way of reacting towards one another. And we have to keep this in mind, that at this particular place, when Jesus is on the cross, he is actually emerging from three hours of darkness. In Matthew chapter 27 and verse number 45, the Bible says, Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. You have to remember also, when we talked about this last Sunday, that God the Father in this whole process had turned his back on the Lord Jesus. And that, by the way, was not only something that Jesus was experiencing physically on the cross from the brutality of the men, but he was also facing a spiritual battle as well when he had broken fellowship with the Father. That was emotionally difficult for the the Lord Jesus. And so here now he's crying, I thirst. And it was the effect of the agony of his soul in the fierce heat of God's wrath. More than a thirst for physical water. And that's primarily all we think about when we read those words, I thirst. But more than a thirst for physical water, I believe when Jesus said those words, it was our yearning for a joint communion with God the Father once again. Jesus was not only physically thirsty, but he was also thirsty to be restored back to the fellowship with God the Father once again. Number three, real quickly here, I want us to see our Lord's deep reverence for the scripture. Do you remember when the Lord Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by the devil three on three different occasions? The Lord Jesus, remember when, when Satan said, listen, if you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. You remember that? 
Well, the truth of the matter, he could have turned them into Kentucky Fried Chicken if he had wanted to. But when he was tempted by the devil in multiple ways, this is what Jesus said. It is written. It is written. It is written. And so from those words alone, we find the reverence of our Lord, a deep passion or reverence to the scriptures. I like that old song that says this, he could have, he could have called 10,000 angels. He could have. When the Roman soldiers said, if you are the son of God, come down from the cross and save yourself. He could have done that. I'm so thankful that he didn't. And the reason that he didn't, because he had a deep, passionate reverence for the Father's will, a deep, passionate reverence for the Scripture. Because Jesus hanging on the cross, he was fulfilling the prophetic word of Scripture. And he had a reverence to do that. Jesus was determined to honor the prophetic word. He lived by every single word of the Holy Scripture. He was the word. He formed the word with his thoughts. He, he used the word to fill his heart and the hearts of others. Jesus knew what to expect when they put the vinegar to his lips. He knew they were going to do that. It was prophecy. He was fulfilling the prophetic word. Jesus knew that all of the prophetic word had to be fulfilled. And here's the thing, in all of the brutality of Jesus on the cross, he never for one minute strayed from the scriptures. On the cross, he was still willing to work and walk in the word. And that ought to cause us, those of us who claim to be saved and born again, it ought to cause us to examine just how close we live to the word. Think about how far he went with the word. Number four, quickly, I want us to see the Savior's submission to the Father's will. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when he was perspiring great drops of blood, he said, not my will. After he prayed, Father, if it be any other way. But then he said this, not my will, but your will. And so we see his submission to the Father's will. Isn't it amazing to think this? How the one who had created oceans was now saying, I thirst. Have you ever considered that? Because listen, if it was simply water that Jesus was thirsty for, he could have satisfied his own need. If that's all it was, think about this. If he had turned the water into wine, don't we think that he could have turned the vinegar into water? But here's the thing. Never one time in scripture, never, did Jesus ever perform one miracle for his own personal benefit. Never. He was always moved with compassion to help someone else. Jesus delighted in doing the Father's will, even if it meant suffering. And when I think of that and the depth of that, 
when it comes to God's will, I wonder at what point are we so quickly to say, Lord, I just can't do that. Lord, I didn't sign up for that. When I became a Christian, I didn't know that it was going to consist of this and that. Lord, I, I just, I'm just not ready for this. I, I just can't do that. We're so prone by our human nature and our frailty to give up at the drop of the hat. But the Lord Jesus proved to us on the cross how important it is to go all the way with God and to reverence his will and to reverence his scripture. Number five, real quickly, I want us to see at this stage of the cross, it also shows us how Jesus can sympathize with the suffering of his people, you and I. There are many people, I look out here today, there are many of you that have a story of some ailment or sickness or trouble or trial. I know those infirmities that you have expressed to me. I want us to think about this. Many times I've been asked, why did Jesus have to suffer? Sometimes people have asked me, why do I have to suffer like this? People have asked me the same question. Why did Jesus have to suffer with such great pain? As I said last week, here's the thing. There was absolutely no other way. If there was, God would have done it. But there was no other way. His blood, the blood of the Lord Jesus, the spotless lamb of God, the word says that he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. His blood had to be shed. His blood had to be given. And in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, the Bible says, and almost all things are by the law purged with blood and without shedding of blood is no remission. And through the suffering of the Lord Jesus, God shows us that he's not blind to our personal sorrows. In fact, the word says this in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse number four, and I believe all of these scriptures references are on your bulletin. You can go back and look at it again. But the word says he himself had borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. The Lord Jesus, you may be here this morning and say, why do I have to go through this? Why am I suffering in such a way? Doesn't God love me? Doesn't he care? Listen, look at the cross. Look at the cross and see how much he loves you. Look at the cross and see what he was willing to put his only begotten son through for you and me. Yes, God knows where you're at. Yes, God knows what you're going through. And the thing about all of that, he does care. Does Jesus care when the night grows weary? Let's listen, he does care. He cares about you. And this thing that I see, God knows all about our suffering. God knows all about our infirmity. In fact, let me give you one scripture more to pertain to that. In Hebrews chapter four, verse number 15, the Bible says, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Look at this. But was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. God indeed knows all about our sufferings. So don't ever feel or don't ever think God doesn't know how I feel or God doesn't know what I'm going through. Believe me, he knows all about it. Number six, real quickly. We also see the expression of a universal need. When I see the Lord Jesus hanging on the cross, about ready, this whole thing is about ready to come to its climax. And he is speaking all of these words. And now he's saying, I thirst. They have offered him this concoction three different times. Listen carefully. I, I see something in this. It, when I turn that around, it almost makes me think of how the world in itself is crying or speaking or saying these same words today. I thirst. 
The world is crying, I thirst, but it's not a thirst for him and its righteousness. The world today is crying, I thirst, but it's a cry of wealth. They are thirsty for wealth. They're thirsty for greed. They're thirsty for fame. They're thirsty for power. They're thirsty for pleasure. And the reason why the world has that kind of thirst is because there's a, an extremely large void in their soul. They have no real inner peace. Listen carefully. People, they can have all the money in the world, yet they still commit suicide when they do that. The people all over the world, they have a spouse, but yet they still commit adultery. They have talents yet, but they still take drugs. I'm telling you this, that no matter where you go in the world, the world cannot satisfy your longing. The world cannot satisfy your soul. You can have everything in the world, but what will it profit you if you gain it all and lose your own soul? Think about that. The world can never satisfy the longing in your soul. Only Jesus can. John 14 verse 4 says, Whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give shall never thirst again. And I want our musicians to come forward. I want to share one more scripture, one more thought with you today. Number seven, look at it carefully. I believe in this event of the cross. And again, I started out by saying I believe it was a panoramic view. Lastly, we see, I believe. Jesus, although now, he's seated at the right hand of the Father ever living to make intercessions for us as our mediator, as our high priest, as our king of kings and our Lord of lords. He will never again be subjected to the vile of the world. He will never ever have to bear another cross. No one will ever shove the crown of thorns in his brow ever again. No one will ever pierce his side with a Roman spear. No one else will drive nails in his hands and his feet. No one else will whip the flesh off of his back. He's now seated at the right hand of the Father on the very verge of imminently returning for his people. But yet, in all of that abode, I believe he's still thirsty. I believe that the Lord Jesus is still thirsty. I believe he's thirsty today for lost souls. I believe he's thirsty today for our love. He's thirsty today for our devotion, our commitment, our fellowship, our communion. He's thirsty today for our service. He's thirsty today that we walk with him and talk with him. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, Visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.